First, you must realize that you have no idea before you can know the idea. We scan across all the frequencies if we want to learn anything new. Let us begin. What has physics done for me lately? Furthermore, the equation E is equal we have now acquired a fateful power to alter and to destroy nature. That's like when you're in physics and you get a dream about saying, oh, this is a physics excursion. What is it all about? The whole of human history all falls in the dust of one stroke of the nail file. You can't really get to grips with evolution unless you realize uh, what an enormous amount of time. Our own planet is only a tiny part of the vast cosmic tapestry, a starry fabric of worlds yet untold. Good morning. You're tuned into what can only be described as the best radio station on this blue dot we call Earth. It is, of course, for Triple Z. Bid on your conventional wireless radio by tuning into the classic frequency of 102.1 FM. Digital devices such as DAB or smart speaker, listening via the Community Radio Plus app or streaming us live from our sensational website at 4ZZZ.org.au. And of course, you can always listen back to us or any 4ZZZ show for that matter using the ingenious on-demand feature also found at that URL. We also now have a weekly podcast of the show for your listening pleasure, a condensed version of the show without the music which my mum prefers. Just search for our show name, which is, of course, No Idea, spelt with a K, your weekly dose of science. And joining me today to speak all things science is just me at the moment, but hopefully Izzy will make her way into this studio at some point. For those unfamiliar with the show, we generally start with some weird science, then we might do some marine science with our friendly neighbourhood marine scientist, Peter. And then my personal favourite, of course, is motor science, where I bang on about F1, basically. And then just any other science that has picked our interest during the week, and we round out the show with some space news. And Izzy, it's flown 63 flights. Friggin', friggin', friggin'. And I just got a call in from Ben from a band called Monkey Town, spelled M-U-N-K-E-Y Town. Apparently it's an exciting rock band making waves in the music industry, combining elements of alternative rock, blues, indie rock, pop rock and rock. They produce a unique and captivating sound. Not only do they write their own songs, but can occasionally throw in a cover or two. If you want to see them, they're playing this Friday at Rick's Bar. Check it out. And you'll probably catch Izzy at the Evil Zeds this Saturday. For Triple Zeds, the Evil Zed is back to shake up your world once again this Halloween. A 13-hour-long multi-genre event celebrating the dark side, Zed style. In the rave cave, come get sweaty with DJ Play Pusher, Monsters Around Us, Author Type A, Hallucinogenic vs. Cardiac Arrest, Regs, Skits on a Mix, Koyadonks, Lil Pom Pom, SLK, Spine Code, Backseat Driver, Heavy Gore, and the Gabaoki Hour with Hackin' Dancers. The Evil Zed. Saturday, 20. 28th of October. 2 p.m. till 3 a.m. at Greaser. Tickets available through Moshtix now. Just search Evil Zed. I'll be at the zoo on Friday catching my favourite band, Bean Magazine. That's it. The Gig Guide from the No Idea Show. <laughs> You're tuned into 4ZZZ and we are the science show and we usually play a bit of this. Yeah. 
Now, I was going to have a bit of fun this week with a bit of AI voice, voicing some of the articles that I found during the week. I found one on the snooze button. I don't know what you think about using the snooze button or not, but I got my friend AI, Professor Oswell, to describe a study of the effectiveness of a snooze button. First time presenter, long time listener, Professor Oswald here. I have been tasked with presenting some amazing weird science on behalf of one of my favourite no idea presenters, Gabe, I mean Max. It has been often claimed that using your clock's snooze button may have negative impacts on sleep and cognitive processes, with little or no direct evidence. New research from the Department of Psychology at Stockholm University, QS Ranking 118, shows that snoozing may actually support the waking process for regular snoozers. Clearly, it is a no-brainer to want to stay in bed, potentially even going back to sleep, offsetting your initial wake-up alarm setting. This is where researchers from Stockholm University have stepped in and investigated how common snoozing is and what effects this behavior has on sleep, sleepiness, mood, and cognitive abilities. Interestingly, they found that there were no negative effects of snoozing on cortisol release, morning tiredness, mood, or sleep quality throughout the night. Their first study involved 1732 individuals answering questions about their morning habits, including how often they use the snooze button. Many reported snoozing regularly. This behavior is especially common among young adults and evening people. The most common reason for snoozing is feeling too tired to get out of bed when the alarm goes off. In their second study, 31 regular snoozers spent two nights in their sleep lab. On one of the mornings, they were allowed to snooze for 30 minutes, and the other, they had to get up right when the alarm went off. The results proved compelling for those who snooze. Even though participants' sleep was disturbed during the half hour of snoozing, most of them still got quite a lot of it, more than 20 minutes. This means that their total night's sleep was barely affected. Furthermore, in the snooze condition, no one had to wake up from deep sleep, and the snoozers performed a bit better on cognitive tests right upon waking. The study also showed that half an hour of snoozing does not have negative effects on night sleep or sleep inertia, the feeling of not quite being alert in the morning. If anything, they saw some positive outcomes, such as a decreased likelihood of waking from deep sleep. Finally, when participants were allowed to snooze, they were also a bit more quick-thinking right when they got up. It should be noted, the study only included people who are regular snoozers and find it easy to go back to sleep after each alarm. And thanks to Gabe, I mean Max, for allowing to present some weird science this week. You tune into Four Triple Z, and the show is No Idea, your weekly dose of science with me, Max, and now <laughs> another favorite science communicator. Good morning, Izzy. Good morning, Max. All how good. Are we? <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I love how you just sort of come in half an hour into the show. Oi. Job done. Yep. Yeah, See, right. buckle in for another hour and a half of um, <laughs> shenanigans. <laughs> now, if you want to text into the show, feel free on 0420 626 733. We've got a couple in already. DJ Oz, Owen. He said, hey, Max, did you remember to submit your show application for the next grid? And it was funny because we were on the group chat, weren't we? Mm -hmm. And uh, sure enough, Gabe <laughs> had it in draft mode and Ian could see it in draft mode, but he wouldn't accept it until it was out of draft mode. And 
I think Gabe got it in like 10, 10 p.m. that night or something, just two hours before the deadline. The, I did see the text at 11. <laughs> it was like 11.45 or something like that. So, yes, uh, crisis averted. You'll get to hear no idea. Well, we don't know there, do we? Because Ian hasn't actually officially announced we get to decide December. But, mm. yeah. Hopefully we get another six months on the air. So we better <laughs> enjoy it whilst we can. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> and Mr. Stalin wrote in. He said, hey, Max. No, he didn't. He said, I'd recommend all subscribers attend this year's AGM, mm. Annual General Meeting. Mr. Stalin <laughs> is thinking about running for the board, so they better come and vote to put a stop to that madness. Is that is that no idea exclusive? Exclusive. It's, it's a no Stalin? idea exclusive. I'm kind of tempted to see what that would look like. A cat on the board? I reckon. <laughs> <that would be. laughs> Could you imagine? A cool cat. That would be sick as hell. Uh, Izzy. Yeah. Did you hear my weird science? I did. Did you enjoy I that? I did. I did enjoy that very we're, much. We're going to do part two. You ready? Lovely. Weird. Now, because Gabe's not here, mm. I thought I'd do a weird <laughs> science on his behalf. Oh, yeah. And I got the AI voice, Professor mm-hmm. Oswell, to mm-hmm. read it out for me. So, enjoy. This is all about consciousness in the cradle. There is evidence that some form of conscious experience is present by birth, and perhaps even in late pregnancy. An international team of researchers from Trinity College Dublin and colleagues in Australia, Germany and the USA has found... The findings in the peer-reviewed journal Trends in Cognitive Science have important clinical, ethical, and potentially legal implications, according to the authors. In the study, entitled Consciousness in the Cradle on the Emergence of Infant Experience, the researchers argue that by birth, the infant's developing brain is capable of conscious experiences that can make a lasting imprint on their developing sense of self and understanding of their environment. The team comprised neuroscientists and philosophers from Monash University, QS Ranking 42, The Answer to the Universe, Life and Everything, But I Digress, University of Tübingen, QS Ranking 213, University of Minnesota, QS Ranking 195, and Trinity College Dublin, QS Ranking 81. Although each of us was once a baby, infant consciousness remains mysterious because infants cannot tell us what they think or feel, explains one of the two lead authors of the paper, Dr. Tim Bain, professor of philosophy at Monash University, Melbourne. Nearly everyone who has held a newborn infant has wondered what, if anything, it is like to be a baby. But of course, we cannot remember our infancy, and consciousness researchers have disagreed on whether consciousness arises early, at birth or shortly after, or late by one year of age, or even much later. To provide a new perspective on when consciousness first emerges, the team built upon recent advances in consciousness science. In adults, some markers from brain imaging have been found to reliably differentiate consciousness from its absence and are increasingly applied in science and medicine. This is the first time that a review of these markers in infants has been used to assess their consciousness. Co-author of the study, Lorena Nazi, associate professor in the School of Psychology, who leads Trinity's Consciousness and Cognition Group, explained, Our findings suggest that newborns can integrate sensory and developing cognitive responses into coherent conscious experiences to understand the actions of others and plan their own responses. The paper also sheds light into what it is like to be a baby. We know that seeing is much more immature in babies than hearing, for example. 
Furthermore, this work suggests that at any point in time, infants are aware of fewer items than adults and can take longer to grasp what's in front of them, but they can easily process more diverse information, such as sounds from other languages, than their older selves. Everyone at the station knows uh, which shows the most appreciated. Uncancelable. Uncancelable. That's what I love to say about us. <laughs> everything we do, everything we say, everything we've ever put online, uncancelable. Yeah. You're tuning into 4ZZZ. Hmm? And the show is No Idea with me, Max, and Izzy. You know it. I asked Izzy as she walked in, have you got a weird science? And I went, nah-uh. Nah-nah. But I pulled one up for you, Max. You just did. Just for you, I've whipped together something. Let's so. do part three of this. Now, Max, are you on the Instagram reels? Are you on the TikToks? I'm not on the reels. I'm just on the Instagram Oh, yeah, just on Instagram? Okay, that's <laughs> yeah. fair enough. You kids have to show me how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of, one of my favourite videos, yeah. um, well, newfound favourite videos, yeah. um, popped up on my Instagram reel. Um, reel, sorry. Yeah. It was um, a gentleman discovering that the iron that you put in cereal is the same thing as iron the metal. Yes. Which isn't quite right, but yes. Um, this man was quite shocked. Was that, he? Yes, that yeah. you know, um, you know, your special K and your your corn flakes and whatever else yeah. has iron in it and mm. all those sweet vitamins and minerals that we need yeah, to function. This man was flabbergasted as well. I wish I had the audio because he was just blown. Freaking out. His, you could see his brain just <laughs> How does this work? How does the, the iron from the thing is in the cereal? And his mate's like, yeah. <laughs> so, Are we magnetic? <laughs> so I have presented some research from the South Australian Health and Medical Research Institution, mm. SARMII, about new research that may find a solution to improve iron intake amongst older Australian infants in the form of iron-fortified infant cereals. Right. So that got me thinking as well. Mm. I was like, I know the iron. Iron is iron. Mm. I know that. Yeah. Iron and iron is cereal is good for you. Yes. Well, what about these little tuckers who, you know... Good they, for bone development. Exactly. Yeah. And for all things. You can't really feed a, a steak to a, <laughs> <laughs> to a, a one-year-old to get their iron intake up. Right. So how yeah. do they do it? Bone broth. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Study published in the Journal of Nutrition analyzed the diets of nearly 300 infants aged 6 to 12 months from across Australia and showed that adding one serving, just one, mm -hmm. which is 18 grams, providing 6.3 milligrams of iron, of iron-fortified infant cereals per day to current diets, shock horror, increased total iron intake in the population <laughs> <laughs> and decreased the percentage of, I of infants not meeting iron requirements from 75% down to your 5%. Well, Izzy, it, duh, like, of course, if they eat more iron, they're going to have lower iron. That's well, right. it's kind of hard. As I said earlier, you can't really feed a nice red steak to a, to a six-month-old. So, yeah. um, iron-fortified infant cereals may be the way to go. Um, during this period, iron-rich complementary foods in conjunction with breast milk is needed to in order to meet the infant's high iron needs. Mm -hmm. So... The findings showed from the statement from Dr. Najma 
Moonmin said that in our study, few infants aged six to twelve consumed iron-rich foods such as red meat, poultry, six fish, to twelve months, yeah. six to twelve months. Oh yeah, my gosh! Yeah. And iron-fortified cereals, and those were in- consumed in smaller amounts. Even if the high amounts of iron-rich animal-sourced foods were given to infants, it was still unlikely that they would meet iron requirements given the small amounts of food that infants do consume. They found that, yep, iron-fortified for- infant cereals will be effective strategy for helping infants meet their iron requirements that are specially formulated to meet their needs. So start feeding your little kids <laughs> cornflakes and whatever else. Um, they are, of course... Um, mandated by the Food Standards Australia New Zealand to be fortified between 20 and 50 milligrams of iron per 100 grams of dry weight, meaning there's a high percentage of iron in a low volume of food, which is ideal for those little suckers. Um, Yeah, that was just my cool research on, you know, iron-fortified cereals (laughs) that do contain iron. um, For infants. For infants. Also, that's a really... That's quite a high amount. I don't even think that an Mm. adult serving has that much iron in it. I thought you'd get enough just through the mother's breast milk. Well, that's raises a few interesting things because I remember I basically made my mom anemic when I was mm. in the womb and I'm sure that's mm. a story for a lot of like mothers that's as well right. they're yeah, yeah, yeah. kids sucking like calcium and whatever yeah, else from yeah. their parents the goodness the goodness yeah <laughs> and it's just going all straight into the bub so it makes sense also like yeah. if, you're, if you're anemic and you're breastfeeding like that's yeah. not <laughs> it's, it's not a good just, thing so yeah. you know what cool maybe I need to start eating some infant <laughs> yeah. cereal because these kids these kids are absolutely iron maxing out here. That's right. <laughs> Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Max. <laughs> Some stuff to think about. <laughs> you tuned into four triple Z and the show is No Idea with me, Max. And Izzy. You know it. And we're gonna hear from our friendly neighborhood marine scientist in brackets master of marine science. Yeah. yeah. Come on, Max. You got that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I have to up my game, I have to go back to uni now and get a master's degree. <laughs> Okay, that's two years I'll never get back. Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, spit it. We've got <laughs> Peter's going to talk about orcas. Good morning and welcome back to another oceanic-loving segment of the show with your friendly neighbourhood marine scientist. Let's just start off by saying there are many reasons that I respect killer whales from a distance, and one just got added to the list. Also, for the rest of the story, I'm going to refer to them by their other name, orcas, to reduce confusion. So we've known for a long time that orcas are insanely good predators and are largely regarded as the top of the oceanic food chain, the apex predator of the oceans, which, you know, gold star for them, I guess. They hunt anything and everything from seabirds to sea lions to things like whale calves and squids. Almost every large animal species that swims in the ocean has been documented being prey to orcas, which is an impressive resume if I've ever seen one. But there is one animal that has evaded this. The biggest animal in the ocean today. The biggest animal to have ever lived on this planet, in fact. Just this week, a paper was published documenting the first ever recorded kills of blue whales by orcas, including two calves and one successful attack of an adult blue whale. That's right, these overgrown sadistic dolphins brought down the largest animal to ever live, Oh, and I should probably mention that these events happened right here in Australia, just off of the continental coast of southern Western Australia. The attack of the adult blue whale took place in 2019, where about 14 orcas chased and attacked the healthy adult whale. We don't know how long the chase actually took, but as the researchers approached the blue whale, they could see that it was still trying to flee the orcas. It was thrashing and flipping its tail. 
However, a lot of damage had already been done at this point. Large chunks of the whale's rostrum or mouth had clearly been ripped away and its dorsal fin appeared to have been bitten clean off, essentially injuring it enough to significantly slow its swimming speed. For the 20 minutes following this, the 14 orcas, mainly female, continued a relentless attack on the whale, tearing large chunks of blubber and skin off the whale's flank, further weakening it. At that point, three of the female orcas who were leading the attack lined up, lined up, and rammed into the side of the whale, forcing it under the water. These rams, by the way, have been known to be powerful enough to literally break bone. Think about when you were underwater in a swimming pool and you were trying to punch your sibling. That is hard. At the same time as the ramming, another female individual attacked the head, going for what is known to be their favorite meal, the whale's tongue. It actually began consuming the tongue while the whale was still alive. This level of desire for tongue meat is unnerving, but certainly not unheard of in orca populations. The tongue is nutrient dense and therefore obviously desirable, but orcas will sometimes go to great lengths just for this meat. When feeding on rorquals, for example, orcas have been seen to eat only the tongue before simply abandoning the carcass, which is like having a Greek salad and literally only eating the feta. Historical accounts from whaling institutions in New South Wales have even said that killer whales used to cooperatively hunt with the whalers, and once a whale had been harpooned, allowed to feed on the tongue, which was apparently their preferred share of the catch. You may have also recognised that I have been continuously bringing up the sex of the animals participating in these important kill events. In previous literature, it was suggested that despite being a matrilineal society, females and predominantly female groups could not be successful at bringing down such large prey as they would quote unquote require help from adult males. And I'm not gonna outright call that sexist crap because I haven't read the paper with whatever evidence stated, but it certainly feels just a bit too familiar to me. Either way, these events prove that small, predominantly female orca groups are able to bring down the largest prey in the ocean, which is ridiculously impressive despite the brutality. And the paper even states that it is clear that males are not essential for success. Anyway. The whale died after about an hour of relentless attacking, and in the six hours that followed, approximately 50 orcas were seen on site joining the feeding. Because I guess the attack pod had enough to share with the class? The paper also describes two other successful kills of blue whale juveniles, overall documenting the first three confirmed predation offense of blue whales by orcas. So, yeah, don't mess with orcas. From our lovely, yeah. friendly neighborhood master, marine scientist. Take it away, Jay. Okay, it's time for the best part of the show. Loosely defined as science, yeah, you already know. Everybody listens to 4ZZZ just to hear us talking about what Butters just did. Subscriptions just keep rolling like the tires on a car. But something tells me that our science careers won't go far. But unlike an engine, I won't keep you in suspension. We're all here to hear him talk, so let's give him attention. You're not ready for when he starts rapping. Gonna hand the mic to Max, and I'm not talking Van Staffen. It's lights out, and away we go. MotoGP happened on the weekend. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. in Australia at Phillip Island. They had some inclement weather down there, and it was going only, only going to get worse on the Sunday. 
So they brought forward the the main race to Saturday. Mm. Yeah. Jack nice. Miller, Aussie Jack Miller, qualified eighth and finished seventh. So once again in the top ten, which is good. A Frenchman, Johan Zarco, has won his first MotoGP race. He was driving a Ducati, and it was a Ducati podium lockout, which means one, two, and three were all riding Ducatis. Nice, nice. F1 Academy also happened on the weekend. It was the seventh and final round mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in Texas at Cota, like the Circuit of the Americas. Now, each race consists of three races. The F1 Academy champion for this year, 2023, was awarded to Spaniard Marta Garcia, who managed to attain 273 points. It is envisaged that the category, when it matures, will we, we will start to see some female drivers on the Formula One grid. I know. <laughs> and really enjoying seeing the girls on the F1 Academy. Yeah. Just getting in there. Slowly, slowly. Slowly, very slowly. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's basically they're driving like they're they're all same make cars, aren't mm-hmm. they? Uh, same model car, but they're like an F2 car, aren't they? Yeah. So they're smaller. Mm. They're a little bit then you're yeah. a bit lighter as well, I believe. Mm. Um, but and yeah. each of the main F1 teams have to sponsor the, mm-hmm. the cars as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to play some audio. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. Greetings from the International Space Station, and welcome to Austin. Sitting here, 250 miles above you in space, we wanted to send our best wishes your way. Every single Formula One driver is incredible at their craft, but we want to give an extra special shout-out to the teams who do the math, engineer the parts, and take the technical wins. You are our heroes. The race takes about as long as it takes us to do one lap around Earth, so we'll catch you at the checkered flag. Of course, I'm talking about the Formula One that happened in Austin, Texas. Mm. And it doesn't end there. Go- okay. Oh, oh, this is bad. Max, this is very bad. That's embarrassing. It oh. is. <laughs> How's that muscle memory? <laughs> oh, I was so hoping Gabe would be here this week to talk F1, but anyway. Oh, sorry, you've just got me. So <laughs> get on with it, Max. <laughs> You couldn't have brought your dad in. We could have uh, spoken about it. Yeah, we would love to see him. <laughs> <laughs> Wigging out, yeah. Anyway, NASA also, uh, Reed Wiseman and the Canadian Space Agency's Jeremy Hansen, who was set to fly around the moon on the Artemis II mission, did a grid walk before Sunday's big F1 race. Unfortunately for me, it would have been more appropriate in their million-dollar spacesuits. Mm. That would have been freaking cool. <laughs> the pair repeatedly spoke with the F1 teams on how they keep their race cars running safely during a race. I think NASA wants us to believe that rockets and F1 racing are synonymous with cutting-edge technology, but if F1 tech moved at the glacial rate that NASA <laughs> aspires to, <laughs> F1 pit stops would take hours, not seconds. Yep. Being too harsh, you reckon? <laughs> no, I think that's realistic. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, both space and F1 require high-powered machines utilising complex infrastructure and highly trained teams to keep things running. But unlike NASA's SLS Artemis, F1 cars can be changed out mid-flight mm-hmm. where spacecraft cannot. So to the main game, the feature race, the sprint notwithstanding. The sprint was very, very dull affair. Yeah, mm. I watched the highlights from it. It, it was, was sort just... of like a, uh, what was going to happen in the F1 in the main game. Like It was just a... Yeah. yeah. You were quick to text me, Izzy. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to say the motor rat was going to be a bit spicy this week. Yeah, well, 
it was first of all Hamilton and um, Leclerc. Leclerc all yeah. disqualified. They were right. Do you yeah. know why they're disqu- disqualified? Um, I've got I've got the receipts pulled up <laughs> about um, the rear skid in the area is def- um, area defined the technical delegates report from yeah. outside the threshold. So. Yes, right. I didn't actually capture any of the footage because yeah. I watched the highlights because I'm not waking up at 5 a.m. to watch the That's race. Right. But that was interesting. As soon as I popped up, I was like, Max. Yeah. <laughs> Especially so, with Hamo. So, like, didn't he hit? He, he got on podium, didn't yeah, he, he, he? Initially, before yeah, yeah, he got yeah. disqualified. Yeah, he could have yeah. potentially won the race, too, if they yeah. had the, the um, timings a bit better. But, uh, yeah, so this is a plank that's mandated back in the 90s uh, that runs the length of the car to stop them lowering the cars too low to mm-hmm. the ground. Mm-hmm. And what happened was Mercedes and Ferrari uh, must have set up their cars a bit too low in the ride height. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the weekend and the bumpy circuit at Austin, it wore away the rear end of the plank uh, down to less than the 9 mil required. So they're mm-hmm. allowed, it's generally 10 mil uh, plus or minus 0.1 of a mil. But uh, the FIA are happy for it to, to run down to as little as 9 mil. Mm. But they went less than that. So they got disqualified, which meant that uh, other people got sort of elevated in the order, mm-hmm. which was good mm-hmm. for Yuki because he went from 10th to 8th. Eighth, and yeah. congratulations as well for yeah. fastest, fastest lap. lap. Third yeah. Japanese um, driver to get uh, right. fastest lap. There you so, go. Holding out for Yuki, he may not be in the top podium, <laughs> but he's certainly making making records that's elsewhere. It. And that's, of course, we speak of Yuki because he's in Alpha Tori team, which is also where Daniel, Aussie Daniel Ricciardo <gasps> Did you see the, the stash that mm. he was rocking? Nah. Daniel Ricciardo rolls up to Texas yeah. in style, whether it's on a horse with a cowboy hat, that's or in right. this case, he had his little handlebar moustache. Mm, nice. <laughs> And then Oscar Piastri, what he failed, he, yeah, he had a cooler problem, didn't he? One yes. of the radiators was yeah. leaking after being hit by Ocon yeah, in the Alpine. So, yeah, a bit of imminent justice both ways. O- Ocon had to retire, and then so did Aussie Oscar Piastri. Piastri, I know. Yeah. That's it for the weekend. Um, Max Verstappen, he's already won the, the championship, so I don't know. Oh, boo! Why, why <laughs> boo! Whatever! We just want to see Daniel Ricciardo in the car next year. I do. Uh, yeah, doing well. <laughs> Okay, I just gotta let let the boss in. Okay, boss, <laughs> in you come. Now, <laughs> the Valtteri Bottas and Roman Grosjean report. Valtteri finished out of the points in both Saturday sprint race and Sunday feature race. So job done. Bring on Mexico. Mm. And the Phoenix Roman Grosjean, meanwhile, tweeted: "It was so good to be waking up to the news that MotoGP rider Zarco had won the Australian MotoGP." Good to know. The Swiss slash Frenchman, this is um, the Phoenix, mm-hmm. heralds all French victories. So, yeah, don't Good bring up World War II. <laughs> <laughs> and that is it for the MotoGP and MotoGP, the motor wrap this week. I learned that you can hear the difference between different water temperatures when they're poured. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pour one after the other mm-hmm. into a different glass and you have to tell me which one is which temperature. I've got a hot and a cold. Mm-hmm. You ready? Yep. Right, here's the first one. Any thoughts? Is this the bodily fluids again? <laughs> yeah, I'm saying cold. It sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? Okay. Yeah. Here's the second one. Oh. 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 Well played. Shut up. <laughs> you tuned into 4ZZZ and the show is No Idea with me, Max, and Izzy, not Gabe. But we just heard Gabe. <laughs> You'd laugh about it now, Max. Talking about V and J, I'm going to play something that they... Um, well, recorded back on the 15th of June, 2022. Mm-hmm. So 
that's a year ago and a bit. It's also Rich's birthday on the 15th of June. Just a oh. little fun fact there. Cool. My best mate. Okay, now, <laughs> let's get back into this. I've got a weird thing for remembering birthdays. It's anyway, this is about E. coli. Let's get V and J. Take it away. Oh, man. What's wrong now? This restaurant I was at last night just posted on social media. They're saying they've had an E. coli outbreak in the kitchen. Yeah, that is not good. Excuse me while I go bleach my insides. I can't think of anything I'd not rather have than fruit poisoning. Stupid germs. I wish E. coli didn't exist. Hey, don't be so harsh. A lot of bacteria is super useful, E. coli included. In fact, I was just reading about some new materials research. Some chemistry folks are working on ways to protect E. coli rather than wipe it out. E. coli? Why do we want to be protecting that? Don't tell me the US is developing it for use as a bioweapon. No, nothing like that. Like lots of other bacteria, E. coli is used to sustainably synthesize products in industrial chemical factories. Bacteria are great in this role because they grow fast, are relatively easy to work with, and also produce no toxic waste products. For instance, E. coli in particular is commonly used in the synthesis of insulin and growth hormones. Other examples are Streptomyces griseus, a bacteria used for antibiotic production, or Halomonas blufagnesis, which is used to produce some plastics. Huh, the more you know. So, what's the need for the research? It sounds like we have a pretty good system in place already. The main problem in the industry is that many bacteria die in the process from harsh conditions, which reduces efficiency of production. Uh, harsh working conditions, huh? What do you mean, like they get paid below minimum wage or have to work long hours with no penalty rates? Hmm, no. You're thinking of gig workers. The harsh conditions affecting the bacteria are more like exposure to high heat, extreme pH values, various chemical solvents, or UV radiation. These are the kinds of stresses you can expect to face as a bacterium in an industrial chemical factory. Well, who knew being an industry germ could be so terrifying? They put their microscopic lives on the line for our scientific progress. Um, yeah, I guess it's a little sad. But fortunately for E. coli everywhere, this research I'm about to explain looks at how we can make bacteria more resistant to the stresses they'd face in a chemical factory. This study was published on Monday by researchers from the University of Southern Denmark in the journal Nature Communications. They developed a protective suit for the bacteria to wear, made of nanoparticles. What, seriously? Like a little super suit? How on earth did they manage to give every single bacterium a protective suit? Did they spray each one with sealant? It's deceptively simple. The researchers simply made a mixture of E. coli bacteria, liquid, and dopamine. Isn't dopamine a neurotransmitter that regulates pleasure and motivation? Yes, but that's a bit of a neuropsych answer. Through a chemistry lens, dopamine is also used to protect against external stresses such as light. So the researchers mix that solution up thoroughly, and then the dopamine attaches itself to the surface of the bacteria cells in the form of nanoparticles. That's how the dopamine forms a protective layer around each bacterium. Pretty cool, huh? You know what, V? That is pretty cool. How effective were the supersuits? Think of it this way. It's very hard for an E. coli bacterium to survive if exposed to UV radiation for two hours. However, with a protective dopamine suit on, 85% of the bacteria persisted beyond that two-hour mark. And testing against drastic phase shifts, meaning if the bacteria had to change from solid to liquid or liquid to gas, the researchers found that 80% of the protected bacteria survived. In comparison to a base survival rate of only 10% for unprotected bacteria, you've got to admit, the technology looks pretty impressive. Yep, that is pretty impressive. 
But now I'm nervous. What if some of these super unkillable E. coli makes a break for it and gets out of the lab? It'd be a disaster for restaurant owners everywhere. I'd really love to watch the crime thriller about bacteria you're clearly writing in your head, but I don't think we have to worry about jailbreaks anytime soon. What do you actually think the inside of a lab looks like? I would love to answer that in detail, V, but I'm starting to feel a little queasy. I think I'd better get out of here ASAP. That sounds like a good idea. I think this whole show is a science experiment. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, let's let's just get into the science. Our safe space. Triple Z, we want to appeal to your senses. Mr. Styles said, good at birthdays, so he's good at birthdays, but not so great at wedding anniversaries. And I have to admit that I'm not so good at wedding anniversaries as well. Like your own wedding anniversary? Yeah, it's, oh, on, okay. it's, on, the, it's on the 8th of October, right? 8th of October. And we got married back in 94, so we're 29 years we've been married. Whoa. Oh, no, it's big time, isn't it? <laughs> no, what's the secret, Max? Yeah. <laughs> what's the secret that makes it work? Yeah. I'll, I'll just do the L, you know, communication, which is... Oh, correct. boo. <laughs> <laughs> you tune into 4ZZZ, and the show is No Idea with me, Max, and Izzy. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. We've got to talk about subscribing, because this station... Lives on subscription. If you haven't done it already, Mm. what are you doing? You silly goose, you've tuned in (laughs) and you're 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 loving what you hear. So might as well scurry on down for triplez.org.au forward slash support. Different different uh, tiers for different budgets. Get yourself something nice. Or subscribe your pet even Yeah, get your get your dogs in, get in your yeah, stuffed animals, I know, some inanimate objects. (laughs) Subscribe. Yeah, might as well yeah, you got a stone. Give it a subscription. (laughs) And hey, easy breezy Christmas present, get the family a subscription. Nice. Develop a parasocial. Yeah, might as well. Get your six get sick merch. Yeah. You know, come on in. We got sub discounts, we got exclusive access to some demos of right here, right now. Yeah. You get to get your name when you text in, so you get prioritized when we're doing apparently a request show max. (laughs) 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 We know we know we know our favourites by name, Mr. Stalin and all Luke and our Chris and all those fun little people on our computers. You could get to develop a parasocial relationship with us so we can, you know, Support community radio. Like this text I got in from Rick. What did Rick say? He said, Ditto, we got married in 94 as well, but he is on the Ooh. 30th of April. So oh, that's a good an number. autumn rather than spring. That's a good number. Yeah. Mr. Starling, oh yeah, I wasn't talking about me, Max. <laughs> okay, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> this is like a helpline now. Yeah, a... we'll open it up. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you silly goose, go and subscribe, yeah. God damn it. Support community radio. It's 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 easy as breathing, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It costs like so what is it, sixty bucks for an hour of radio mm. in this economy, so you, we're we're churning out 120 dollars worth of content, so you mm. might as well pay up. Thank you. Mm. Keep the lights on. Keep the keep the world turning. I guess. Okay, we're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> Am I wrecking stuff? Nah, you're alright, mate. All right. You're tuning, a song. You're tuning <laughs> <Sorry>. to <laughs> Triple Z. No, go ahead. <laughs> with me, Max. And I was gonna say, Gabe. I'll just say, Gabe. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just erasing me. <laughs> no idea. Space man. Space torts. I've spoken about toilets in space before. Cool. Not quite your sex dungeons that was mentioned <laughs> during the Jaguar Jones spaceship tour. You have to listen back to Live Delay if you want to get that uh, joke. Yep. But when it comes to updating the toilet on the ISS, it took NASA six years and $23 million to come up with the latest unisex 
design. To be fair, the cost actually covers two toilets. Mm. So really only, you know, what's half of that? 12, 12.5? Wow. Or, no, 11.5 mil each. That's all right. That's a that's expensive <laughs> toilet. Jesus. Astronauts have already installed the first one on the International Space Station. If it performs as expected, a second will travel to the moon as part of the agency's upcoming Artemis II mission on the crewed Orion spacecraft. Hmm. SpaceX has their own space toilet on board the Crew Dragon that services the ISS and other sponsored space flights. On one occasion, the holding tank had a loosely fitted pipe, which eventually gave way and spilled some of the effluent into the lower floor cavity of the spacecraft. Fortunately, no SpaceX occupants were affected. Mm. Now, a new suborbital ensuite has been unveiled by the yet-to-fly space ballooning company called Space Perspective. Mm-hmm. The toilet will be housed in the elegantly termed Space Spa. This will be a separate room for the eight occupants to relieve themselves as needed during the six-hour flight. Space Perspective's design goal for the restroom was to provide an environment closer to a spa than that of a typical aircraft. Since spaceship Neptune will only reach an altitude of 30 kilometres, there is no need for any fancy vacuum toilet. The company proudly announced this week the space bar is the one piece in the capsule's interior where explorers will be able to have a moment of solitude. So it was an imperative that it felt like a retreat. Explorers will find this ambience, this environment, cocooning and comforting with no sharp edges, which adds to the ambience and creates a very welcoming place to okay. take a dump, I guess. I hope it wouldn't have sharp edges in the bathroom. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> On a practical level, the design benefits cleanliness, allowing for things such as surfaces that are easy to wipe down and its soft surfaces are greenery, and greenery promotes sound and odour control. So no better place to shite yourself. So if you want to experience space perspective space spa tickets start at an attractive one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars oh (laughs) (laughs) now did you know it's the anniversary of xp being released no it was released on this day uh back in 2001 22 years old and then it was uh they stopped any more updates in april 2014 Mm. but millions of people still use it mainly in china Hmm. Um, so do you know what XP stands for? No. No. It stands for experience. Oh, okay. Um, pretty imaginative. Oh. I those Microsoft people. Yeah, or yeah, I thought XP, like experience points, like in a video game, but you know. Yeah. So we're saying, how old are we saying the, the thing is? 22 years 22 old? 22 years old. So imagine having to update an operating system on a spacecraft that has been flying since 1977 <laughs> and is now interstellar. An update was recently sent to Voyager 2... It took over 18 hours to transmit. Voyager 1 also needs to have a patch installed, but because it is further away and the data it sends back is way more valuable than Voyager 2's data, NASA decided to use Voyager 2 as a testbed. If no anomalies are found with the sent software patch to Voyager 2, the update will be triggered on October 28, so this weekend. Hmm. The software patch for Voyager 1 will take 20 hours to transmit. NASA needs to keep the probe's antenna in line with Earth while not fouling the thruster, its thruster tubes. Ideally, NASA wants Voyager 1 to basically wiggle a little to free up any residue fuel sitting in the thruster nozzles. The grand hope is to get 
at least another five years of service from Voyager 1 and mm. Voyager 2. Pretty impressive. Yeah. And finally, you know it. <laughs> Let's do it. That goes out to little mini chopper on Mars, Ingenuity. It's done it again. It's 63 flights. I predicted only 50. Izzy, you predicted 69. It's getting you know ever it's so close to 69. <laughs> and they seem to be, the JPL has seemed to be pushing it as hard as they can. Mm. Like it, it's in the, in, now it's in, in the 60s flight, like the 61st flight was like the, the fastest flight ever. The, the 62nd flight was like the highest ever. I think the, the 63rd flight, they're trying to go for the longest distance ever, but they didn't make it. They still flew 600 metres, which is fair, wow. fair way. I think the biggest it's flown is like 850, 840 metres. Still impressive. Uh, anyway, it's just amazing. So we'll see. We'll, I'll keep you updated. DJ Oz liked that I, I played that, <laughs> as always. Always does. <laughs> <laughs> Even played it on Ice Fire the other day. I did hear that. <laughs> 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 and we had... Uh, Pat uh, text in. He's our IT person here. He said XP is currently used in some embedded systems, including our old ZDAB encoder. Ooh, so there that's you go. fun, Pat uh, fact. Fun Pat fact. <laughs> 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 and we heard also from Mr. Stalin. He, he's wondering where Malcolm's been lately because we haven't yes, heard from Malcolm. I, we haven't heard from Malcolm in so Malcolm long. Malcolm, te- yeah, used if, to text in with a different start to the show and everything. He's Malcolm. Yeah. If you're out there, um, text in if you can mm. or touch base. Yeah. Want to know how you are? Hope you're well. That's it. <laughs> okay, we might sign out. As we know, Izzy and I, we're all going... I think everyone's going to the zoo on Friday night, by the sounds of it. You know it. If, <laughs> if, you're, there, if you're there on Friday night, come say good day. Yeah. Don't be scared. Um, we don't bite hard. And then on <laughs> Saturday as well, yeah. I'll be at uh, Evil Z. I don't think I'm too old to front up for a oh, second. Oh, come on. At a 2pm <laughs> start, Max. You could get in there and be home by 5.30, all ready for your bedtime at 6. <laughs> okay. Woo! It's been no idea. We'll speak to you next week. I'm a goddamn marvel of modern science. Science. science.